I loved when Emma said it's okay to, to cry uh, in church, which it is, of course, um, when the Spirit is touching our hearts and moving us and healing us and relating to us, it's, it's okay to cry. It's okay for the Spirit to, to move us and, and to soften our hearts. Less okay to cry when you're sitting there crying, thinking, he can only get better than the first 10 minutes. Um, surely, or look at the time. When is he going to stop? Please, just stop. If, if that's leading you to cry, that's maybe not such a good thing. I want you to take a minute. If you're, if you're kind of new to church, you don't need to think of a church song. But for those of us who kind of come to church, maybe if you're kind of um, a younger person, it may not be a church song. But what is your favorite hymn, worship song, or just song? I want you to take a minute next to chat to the person next to you, what's your favorite hymn, worship song, song, and why? Just to one another. Okay, you can, uh, you can carry that conversation on uh, afterwards over, uh, over coffee. Uh, if you want, it would be really interesting to hear uh, some of those. I'm, I kind of have a very eclectic kind of mix. I'm a big uh, Charles Wesley kind of fan of, of the hymns if they're sung well. But I'm a big, uh, a big kind of Bethel fan, so I listen to a lot of uh, Bethel worship stuff. And for those of you who are interested in worship, a big Elevation fan um, as well. So I've been going around saying, this is the sound of the dry bones rattling, boom, 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 boom. And I can see as everybody's looking around the room thinking, what is he talking about? Uh, so if you haven't heard it, and it probably doesn't actually sound like that, really, if you get somebody with a decent voice. C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian writer, said, the best worship song that has ever been written was Psalm 8. The commentator uh, Derek Cook, famous uh, Old Testament commentator, said, Psalm 8 could not be bettered as a song of praise and worship. Written by David. I want to read it to you. As David pours out his heart, he says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind 
that you're mindful of them. Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Over the uh, summertime, um, we're going to be having a, a short series on the Psalms. And today, I just really want to give a quick reflection on Psalm 8 for us. So if we could get the next slide up, that would be great. Thank you. In that kind of first line, the lens through which everything else that David is going to say comes, it's almost impossible to get two higher lines or pictures of who God is. If you are trying to describe in one sentence who you think God is, how great, how big, whatever God is, and you wrote it down, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be as big or as grand or as high as David gets when he writes the first couple of lines of Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, Yahweh Adonai. Yahweh is the kind of covenant name for God that is, is uh, so special and so unique that uh, people of the Jewish faith will not even say it. Um, therefore, they kind of put other letters in the middle and, and call it kind of Yahweh or Jehovah, that Y-H-W-H, four letters that say, I am who I am. You can't describe me. Whatever you come up with, it's not going to be good enough. This is who I am. My character is shown in my name, and my name is so great, you can't even say it. That's who I am. So that's the first Lord that David starts with. He starts with the lens of, God, you are fantastic, amazing, above anything that we can come with to you. Our vision's too small. And I want to say that to, to us, even in our own terms of faith, could it be that your vision of God is too small? Could it be when you're dealing with some of the issues in your life and in your family's life and perhaps in your workplace, when you're thinking about them, your view of what God can do is too small? The vision is, is diluted in some way. Your faith is not at a level where you see God is so great and so vast that all things are possible. I know mentally we believe as Christian people that all things are possible. But in our day-to-day -day living and practice and reflection, do we believe that? Do we believe that all things are possible? God can transform any situation, any country, anything that he's dealing with. So Yahweh Adonai, uh, sovereign Lord, one who should be obeyed, one to whom you bow your knee, one to whom no opposition can stand. So Yahweh Adonai is pretty much saying, God, you're amazing. You're amazing. We just 
can't get our heads around how great you are. But just in case that's not enough, he says, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Majestic, the, the Hebrew word is adir, which means to be uh, honored, to be worshipped, to fall at your feet before, to carry something intrinsically royal. David says, basically, my response to, sh to you should be, I should be lying on my face before you. And your majesty is over the whole earth. And if that's kind of not enough, he says, you have set your glory in the heavens. Hodcha, the otherness of God, the, the wonder of God, the weight of God, the measure of God. When God's glory falls, perhaps you're in a prayer meeting or a room and suddenly there's a, a sense of weight there. There's a presence that almost falls and you can sense it and you can feel it. It's the glory of God. Everything else that David is going to write or sing or get people to sing is through the lens of however big you think God is, your vision is not big enough. However great you think God is, God is greater. You could spend your whole life just thinking more and more and more about God and reflecting more and more and more about God. And I know as activist people, we don't really like reflecting all that much, but spending time thinking and thinking and thinking. And no matter how far you get in the journey, there's still further to go because God is that great. He is that great. Next slide, please. But this huge, amazing, great God, David says, says this, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So God is not just majestic, God is surprisingly meek. How is God going to defeat enemies? How does God make this happen? Well, you think God would raise up powerful armies. God would raise up other great people. God would get all the huge intellects of the world in a room and say, come up with ways to defeat the enemies. Do something spectacular. And, and David says, you know what God does? He uses the praises of babies and toddlers. He takes the purity of heart and the simplicity of life and faith. And we might say the, the naiveness of the child. And as they make a natural response of love, that is what God uses to defeat his enemies. It's an upside down kingdom, this kingdom of God. This is it. God uses the sort of people that we wouldn't use. Right? We, we would go for who's in the top 10 of the Harvard Business School. And we get them on board. And then we say, who are the most influential networkers and influencers online today? 
and we get them on board. And we think, who is the coolest people that we know? And we probably get them on board and get a think tank and a forum together. And David says, God uses children. God uses the innocent and the weak and the lowly and the ignored and the deprived and the broken. And he brings them together in this kind of wonderful mix. And out of that, out of that praise, he defeats the strongholds of Israel. Isn't that exciting? Well, for me, it's exciting. For you, it's kind of, uh, whatever. Um, it's exciting because it means nobody is barred. There's no IQ restriction on being used by God. There's no, you don't have to have a degree in theology. Some would say that's probably a disadvantage. But you don't need a, a degree in theology to be used by God. You need to have it all together and be an accept, a success to be used by God. Because God takes the lowly and the weak and the folk who think they can't go on and the folk who think they have nothing to add. And out of that, the babies, out of those, God defeats his enemies. It's absolutely stunning. Listen to these words. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chooses the lowly things of the world, the despised things. so that he will be glorified to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast save boast in the Lord. We have to always be open to the fact God can use anybody, can't we? How quick we are to shut people off, to think they've got nothing to say. What if we do that with, with our kids? Is this a warning in a text? to be aware that God might use children to teach adults. It's an upside-down kingdom, isn't it? Next slide, please. And then he goes on to talk about the wonder that is all round about us. Listen to these words. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Theologians call this general revelation. But really, if you have an openness of heart and just go out and look at the sky, you should be led to think, wow, there is a God here. God is amazing. I was speaking in the, in the States one time in, in California, and um, uh, folks took me up to uh, Yosemite uh, National Park, right? And I look like somebody who's going to be interested in walking around a national park. But they took me up anyway uh, there. And we stayed in this place called Mammoth, um, which is a town just before you get to Yosemite. It's where uh, athletes go 
to train because it's high altitude. So I thought I'd improve my jogging and stuff when I was there. Uh, I write. Uh, so we're there, uh, and the sky's perfectly clear. Um, beautiful sky, full of stars. And then suddenly for about 20 minutes, there was a, a whole series of shooting stars across the sky, hundreds of them, one after the other, coming down, all sorts of colours, lighting up the sky. And because there was very little pollution, you could see every colour flashing over. Absolutely spectacular, as if God was having a kind of painting party. And the canvas was the sky, and he was like taking a paintbrush and going, whoosh, like that. Everything was going over. And what it led us to in the room was praise and adoration. Look at what our Father can do. Look at what God has done. Apparently with the naked eye, you can see on a, on a good night up to 5,000 stars. If you've got a four-inch telescope, you can see up to 50,000 stars. The handiwork, they would say, of our God. Every day is an opportunity for praise and worship. There's always things around if we have the openness of heart to simply praise God for. This God who comes in meekness and uses the, the, the foolish and the weak and the naive is the creator God whose glory is everywhere that we look. And I kind of picture David, you know, lying in the desert with his hands kind of behind his head, stretched up at night, looking at the stars, reflecting upon the God who has called him and equipped him. And it leads him to another question. Uh, next slide, please. So God, you've created all this stuff. You are so vast and so brilliant. Um, what is man that you care about him? I mean, look at all you've created. So much of it is beautiful, spectacular, amazing, fantastic, draws your breath away, and look at people. Messed up, getting it wrong, nothing fantastic to look at compared to the skies and the stars. What, is, what are people, God? Why do you care about people? And he goes into this amazing description of what God has chosen to do. You have made them a little lower than the angels. A little lower. You've made them, you've crowned them with glory and honor. They are crowned, they are royalty, they are blessed by God. This is us David's talking about. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. They are stewards, people with authority over creation. You've put everything under their feet, flocks, herds, fish, animals, all the stuff you've created is under their feet. Now we don't have time to have a debate about how well we've kind of run this. 
some of us would say we've made a pretty shocking effort at this. But nonetheless, we have been given by God a status, a calling, a gifting, all to do under the authority of God. That's your calling. Why should Christians care about the environment? Read Psalm 8. Read Psalm 8. And think about generations to come and the responsibility that we've been given. So this is God, way up high and vast, majestic. This is who he uses. Broken, torn, naive, all sorts. Lowly, despised. He brings them all together. He breathes his breath upon them. He calls them into a relationship of love and dependency. That is your pledge. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get the honor that has been bestowed upon you by this majestic God? And the grace that is at work from God's heart to you? A little more than the angels. That is who you are. A little more than the angels. Called by God, named by God, equipped by God to serve and to steward all that God has created. That praise and glory goes to him. Oh God, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I'm going to ask the band just to come back as we go to uh, communion. We're going to bring communion together. And can I just ask the servers just to come up now? It's easier to do this. <laughs> After the prayers and, and words of communion, uh, we just invite you forward to take bread. When you take uh, the bread back to your seat, just eat the bread in your own time, but hold on to the wine, and we will drink the wine together as uh, as one family. Thank you so much for doing that. I was going to try it myself, but I was worried I was going to knock everything off that table. <laughs>